This is episode number 281 with founder and director of digital strategy at Web4, Kevin Gitch. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This podcast is brought to you by Blue Life AI. Blue Life AI is a company that empowers businesses to make massive profits by leveraging artificial intelligence at no upfront cost. That's correct. You heard it right. We are so sure about artificial intelligence that we will create a customized AI solution for you and you won't need to pay unless it actually adds massive value to your business. So if you're interested to try out artificial intelligence in your business, go to www.bluelife.ai, fill in the form, and we'll get back to you as quick as possible. So once again, that's www.bluelife.ai, and Adelan and I both look forward to working together with you. Welcome back to the Super Day Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show today. And today we're talking about marketing. So we've got the founder and director of digital strategy at Web4, which is a marketing agency in the US. And Kevin uh, is a, an expert in the space of marketing. He's also a published author. His a book, Future Proof Your Marketing, just came out a few days ago. And in this podcast, we won't be talking about data science um, algorithms or artificial intelligence methodologies and frameworks and things like that so if you're after that then this is not the podcast for that this podcast is specifically about marketing and where this field is going and the reason why i wanted to invite kevin onto the show is because marketing is one of the fields where data science is most heavily applied where artificial intelligence is making massive impacts and it's important to know if you are in this field uh or if you want to get into this field, it's important to know where it's going. And Kevin has some fantastic ideas about that. So you will find about find out about what, what the future of marketing looks like. And of course, we'll touch on uh, the surface about some of the technologies. But overall, you'll need to make your own conclusions on what you will need to study or what you will need to incorporate in your data science career in order to break into this field. Uh, however, in terms of the marketing space itself, it's a very valuable conversation. So here are a couple of things that you will learn from this podcast. What digital assistants are and where they're going with the help of people like Ray Cartswell at Google. Kevin's philosophy on what gets measured gets managed and what it means for marketing and data science. Why websites are less and less important. How segmentation is slowly transitioning to personalization. Um, creating amazing customer experiences disk profiles, uh, natural language processing, and computer vision, and their role in the future of marketing. So that's what this podcast is about. If you're into marketing or you want to dive into this space and apply your data science skills there, this is going to be a very valuable podcast for you. 
And on that note, without further ado, I bring to you founder and director of digital strategy at Web4, Kevin Getch. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show. And on the, on the other line, I've got Kevin Getch calling in from Vancouver. Kevin, how are you going today? I'm uh, doing very good. Um, and it was so cool talking to you just now that you specifically told me you're from Vancouver, Washington, not Canada. And I still managed to... Uh, make the mistake how how often do people make that mistake that vancouver washington and not vancouver canada honestly more often than not uh and even in the states when i'm talking to people in the states that are outside of like you know the local area here they always think it's vancouver canada so mm. yeah so you're, you, you're not alone <laughs> do you know the story behind this like which city came first you know, honestly, I, I don't know. I just know that, you know, we're the better Vancouver. <laughs> the uh, I Actually, I love Vancouver, BC, I, and I travel up there quite a bit. Um, but I do think that uh, they came before us. I want to say we're about 100 and we're only about 114 years old or something uh -huh. like that. I think uh -huh. they came before us. So. Okay, that's really cool. There's a city in uh, Western Australia that recently celebrated its 70th birthday. <laughs> and so young like uh, when you say 114 that is huge in my mind uh, but uh, because simply Australia is such a young country um, yeah yeah US is pretty young too that's one of the things when we were uh, over there in in just kind of the European side of things I was uh, really amazed at the history and how old some of those uh, both buildings and cities were you know so oh yeah cool. it's crazy it's crazy like I I'm in Slovenia now and we were with my business partner we we're traveling through uh, some places in, in uh, what is it, east of France. They're, like, there are cities there, like, I don't know, a couple hundred, 500 years old and so on. There's, there are cities in the, more like in the Middle East and so on that are like thousands of years old. How crazy is that? Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. I When we were over there in uh, London, we stopped by um, Stonehenge, and I'm looking at this, and they're saying, you know, it's, Basically, it's supposed to be about 4,000 years old. I'm just like, man, that's, it's insane. It's, that I really love that history. Crazy. And the, the other thing that also um, gets me every time is paintings. You know, some, some of these paintings that, like, I don't know, Leonardo or Michelangelo painted hundreds of years ago, they're still there and they still look the same as they did hundreds of years ago. And they'll be there when we're gone. And they're exactly. just paintings. And <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, um, it's, it's really cool. And, you know. Who knows? Someday we'll 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 be like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, anyway, Kevin. So we met at Tony Robbins Business Mastery 2.0. Well, not 2.0, but like part two in uh, Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago. How did you find the event? Oh man, it was it was amazing. I had been to the first Business Mastery, um, and so there was some some repetition, but there was a lot of new content as well, and just uh, the repetition is really important. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, I brought my wife with me. She also owns her own business, nice. and uh, it was really, uh, for her, I mean, it was it was a game changer, which I knew it was going to be. So I was really excited to have her there. Her business has been growing, and I, I wanted to make sure she... Um, you know, had kind of the skills and tools mm. uh, to um, to kind of hit that next level, right? So mm. entrepreneurs were always uh, being pushed to grow more, and and that was really eye opening for her. And it was great for me too. I mean, 
the group I was with was amazing and just the speakers and the content it's it's all the the Tony Robbins events I've been to have been uh, just top-notch so absolutely agree I think like it is five days every single one of those days was worth the price paid for the whole event so yeah totally totally awesome what is what business is your wife in she owns a speech therapy practice oh wow so she mainly works with uh, pediatrics so children uh, working with speech therapy so gotcha okay well very 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 nice um noble area to be in and um you were one of <laughs> it was so fun meeting you like i was just standing there to get a tea and you were i think in line before me and you were one of the most um, non-conforming people. You're barefoot. You're walking around barefoot. What's up with that? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're like, hey, uh, you from Australia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it's it, it was just funny because I think you're standing up a lot, right, during yeah. those events, and you're jumping around and stuff like that, and. Um, I just find it more comfortable to to take off the. I, I had flip flops on that day, so it was really easy. Mm. Um, but I just feel it, it's more comfortable to take off the shoes, and um, you know, just it seems like it's better for your body posture overall. So yeah. yeah, I just took it off and was walking around barefoot. I'm like, hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, it was great to catch up. I'm glad uh, you could make it onto the show. So. Kevin, you're, you've got a lot of experience and you've done a lot of different things and your book has just come out actually. Congratulations on that. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. So you're now a published author, you're a business owner, you're in the space of uh, digital strategy and uh, marketing. Uh, if somebody off the street were to ask you, who is Kevin Gage, what would you say? Well, if somebody off the street asked me, I'd probably talk more, a lot about my personal life and some about my professional life, but I'd say, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm very passionate about uh, helping people, uh, especially focusing on my local community. I do a lot of work with uh, local teens in the area. I, I speak, uh, you know, at different events to help local teens, like the Boys and Girls Club or uh, we have another rock-solid community teen center in the local area that uh, I went at and spoke at recently. Uh, and then I also uh, own a creative and digital marketing agency where we uh, basically help uh, small businesses and, and medium-sized businesses um, make more money and, and really uh, develop strategies that help them grow their business by more than 30% on average. And that, for me, has been a huge part of uh, just enjoyment because my biggest driver is having a positive impact in, in other people's lives. And, uh, I'm able to do that. And we have a, now a team of 14 people where, um, you know, where I'm not only able to have a positive impact in our clients' lives, but I'm able to have a positive impact in their lives. And, and in turn, they are able to have a positive impact in our clients' lives and in the community. So, um, beyond blessed, uh, to be where I'm at, you know, I have two amazing kids and a beautiful wife, um, so yeah, if you ever hear me complain, slap me. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, thank you for that overview. And your book that uh, just came out two days ago, well, as of when this podcast is going to be released, it'll be two days, uh, Future Proof Your Marketing. How? Tell us a bit about that. So what? what is it about? Yeah, so I've, you know, it was funny because uh, I, I actually, you know, want to thank the previous business mastery and Tony Robbins event for me doing this book. Cause mm. when I was at business mastery in Las Vegas, um, it was kind of like, 
you know, set some lofty goals for yourself. And it was kind of like, take away all the, you know, limitations, all the excuses, all the different things that are kind of in your way. Cause you know, being a business owner and a father and a husband and, um, you know, kids in sports and all that kind of stuff, it, there's a lot of time there. And so I'd been making excuses and I, I, one of the things I wrote down was, you know, launch my book and, you know, the next eight months, mm. you know, finish and write my book. And I knew what a, I knew it was a big task. I didn't realize quite how big it was. Um, and so I, I wanted to do that for a few reasons. One, obviously there's some self-interest and just growing our brand and all that. But the, the other part was really, I've been, I've seen this happen before. I've seen when we went, when I say we, when, when the world went from more of a print marketing and they, and it evolved into more digital marketing, there was literally hundreds and hundreds of businesses that um, just couldn't keep up. They, they didn't know how to adapt. They were still doing the same old thing and the market was changing and it was changing fairly quickly, but not as quickly as what's going to happen. And, and my concern is like then a lot of businesses that didn't evolve ended up going extinct. Mm -hmm. And right now we're about to go through what I consider in, at least in my lifetime, the largest uh, dramatic shift in our lifetime in the next five to 10 years, uh, we're going to see so much change. It's going to make the last you know, century kind of is <laughs> in comparison, it's going to make the last century look small. And as far as advancements, both in technology and, and changes in consumer behavior and things like that, it's going to happen very quickly. And I, I wanted to write a book that prepared um, business owners, marketing executives so that they understood what is uh, currently working, right? What's going to change in the future? With, you know, probably like, you know, obviously looking at consumer behavior, looking at some of the large tech companies, where, where are the consumers and tech companies kind of pushing this marketplace and how do we create a strategy that's not only successful now, but creates the foundation for uh, what's to come. And, and that's, that's what really prompted me to write this book. And so I, I'm excited to share it. I, I'm hoping that um, a lot of people get a lot of value out of it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. And so you said something is going to happen in the next uh, couple of years? What's going to happen exactly? Um, so, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it, it, telling you exactly is, is hard, but I I, um, I don't think predicting the future is is all that hard when it comes to consumer behavior and, and, and kind of tech and things like that. It's for me and it just it's pretty easy to uh, connect the dots, so to speak. Um, and so what's driving this change, and I guess I'll first lay the foundation of what I call kind of the macro trends that help because I realize that there's so many, there's so many different um, micro things that are going to happen and there's no way to really uh, look at all those different things and, and really predict all those different things. But you can at a macro level kind of look at what trends are going to drive uh, the market mm -hmm. and then understand what's driving those trends. And so uh, in the book, I talk about what I call the three P's. Mm -hmm. um, that are these macro trends, the three P's are personalized, predictive, and proactive. Mm -hmm. So in the next five to 10 years, and I actually, in 2015, I originally came up with these three P's as far as driving um, the trends, and they have definitely uh, held true. I just think that we're gonna continue seeing kind of an exponential growth in these areas. Um, personalization obviously has grown substantially in the last four or five years, and and the next five to 10 years is going to increase significantly. And what's driving all of this uh, to a large extent is advancements in technology like AI, 
machine learning, uh, and some of the underlying currents that we're going to see catch up even more in the next five to 10 years is going to be advancements in computing power. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, right now there's certain things that, uh, just from a processing standpoint, the amount of information, whether it be audio or video, um, it, it, it's starting to like happen more, but in the next five to 10 years, uh, computing power, um, is going to see with quantum computing and a number of other things, we're going to be able to see such a higher level of computing power that it's going to make processing uh, everyday information and and being able to take and record audio um, just all day long and video all day long make it possible. Mm-hmm. By doing that, it's going to allow for a complete change. So um, I, I can definitely like dive into more details there as far as the, the specifics, but um, I, I think for me, I think it's important to understand uh, that the largest or the most fundamental shift for people is the proactive part. Mm-hmm. So we've been in a reactive kind of marketing phase for most of our lives. I mean, we if we want to go look for something, right, if we want to go search for a, a restaurant or something like that, we get online and we start searching for restaurants. Mm-hmm. If I want to learn how to fly a plane, I have to go in and start typing in like flight lessons, learning about flying, all that kind of stuff. And it's reacting to me. But in the future, uh, and we're already starting to see this at a kind of a smaller scale, in the future it will be much more proactive. You know, we might be having a conversation uh, and I have my digital assistant that's in always on mode. It's it's there to listen so it can take notes and be of use and value to me. Mm-hmm. And so as it's always on and listening, it's, it's basically processing all of that data. And because we're having a conversation about um, saying, Hey, one of my goals is to learn how to fly a plane in the next eight years. Mm-hmm. And it takes that information and it processes it. And later it'll pop up and say, Hey, uh, here's some information on whether learning how to fly is right for you. And of course, here's some ads for flight schools. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just like a small portion of what, um, I think to me, I think the large tech companies know that the Holy grail for them is proactive, basically proactive assistance. Mm-hmm. If they have, uh, if, if that's set up in place, it will provide so much value, obviously, to the person who's using it. Um, that obviously, especially if they get mo- the majority of it for free, uh, you know, there may be advanced features. There may be um, the always-on mode. Maybe there's other things you have to pay for for some of this stuff as we go down the road. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But even just from a free standpoint, which I think will be the majority of it, um, all of a sudden that digital assistant becomes basically like uh, an executive who has an assistant. They become the gateway to all the other things. So now you, as you build that marketplace, you end up developing something that could be the largest kind of what I call a gateway channel to all other marketing channels, whether it be social media or search or email or all these other things, you now have this kind of gateway channel between those things. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we, we're already seeing that, I think, in its very basic stages. For instance, I have Foursquare on my phone, and uh, which helps me like find vegan restaurants when I go to a new city. It's really very useful tool and it's all like user um, generated data and and people like rate, rate these places and upload them and so on and sometimes when i'm just even driving through a new city even before i decide that i want to have lunch or i want to find a place where to eat 
it I guess it knows through my GPS location where I am it knows it's about lunchtime and it pops up this notification hey Carol you know based on your previous place of view eating previously you might like this place in this city and I'm like wow that's so cool I didn't even have to do anything I just click that place and I go there and I have lunch and it's usually you know it's the recommendations are pretty outstanding there so I think would you agree that we're already seeing these um, predictive or proactive marketing in basic forms yeah it definitely and that's uh, actually I use almost that same example um, you know in in the book talking about some of the current ways that we're already seeing proactive whether it's you know um, your calendar whether it's you know your digital assistant popping up and saying hey based on the traffic and your next appointment you're gonna have to leave in 10 minutes to get to your meeting on time mm -hmm. you know that's that's one of the ways we're starting to see that um, but the same thing with like restaurants um, you know, the the analogy I often give is if you were going to actually hire, you're going to hire a, digital, a personal assistant that was going to work for you. It's like, would you want that personal assistant to not really get to know you and, and just sit there and wait for when you ask them to do something and just, you know, always kind of just be waiting and then say, okay, yeah, I'll go get that for you. Uh, no, you're going to want them to actually really get to understand you, understand your needs, uh, be proactive about serving, you know, those and taking care of you. And, and, and if they're really good, they're going to predict your needs and, and offer up solutions even before you need them. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, then they become so valuable to you. Right. Yeah. And so that's what these companies want to do. They want to create the best digital assistant you ever had. And if, you know, if they provide that much value, um, I've been speaking to audiences where, you know, I have a couple hundred people in the audience and about 94% of the people, 95% of the people would say, yeah, I'd definitely take that. Um, you know, obviously if it's a free digital assistant, no question, like they're like, yeah, you know, hook mm -hmm. me up. <laughs> yeah. And so there's quite a, quite a few around, right? Like there's a uh, Siri, there's the Google assistant, there's uh Cortana, I think, from Microsoft. Yep. There's Alexa. Um, which one? Which one do you choose? Uh, you know, and, and honestly, those are the the top ones. I mean, even um, Will I Am. Do you know you know the the yeah. singer, uh, writer, artist, whatever? Uh, Will I Am is actually uh, creating a digital assistant called I think it's Omega, mm -hmm. um, and he has like 300 employees, or at least last time I checked, which was probably like three four months ago, mm -hmm. uh, he was working on launching this digital assistant. So the there's not just going to be one, and honestly. There are definitely companies that have, um, I guess what I'd say, they have uh, big strategic advantages in this marketplace. Um, search is definitely the uh, foundation of these digital assistants. So companies with a really strong um, base foundation of search can obviously come in better and provide better results because they've already have that huge amount of obviously data and experience in uh, pulling up and providing useful uh, information and useful answers. So that is definitely kind of a foundational element that gives them a strategic advantage as well as size and some of those other things. But we're truly in a position where anyone could come in and potentially disrupt this marketplace. So when I see something like Will I Am, I'm like, you, you, you know, you you never know. Like if it gets in the right um, market and, and kind of finds a niche, uh, honestly, even like Bank of America in the U.S. has its own digital assistant uh, mm -hmm. called Erica, right? Mm -hmm. So many companies are going to have digital assistants um, in their different ways. But as far as kind of the, the the standout ones, I mean, 
you know, it's funny because I, I look at Apple and Apple has so many strategic advantages, but I feel like they've stopped innovating in the last couple of years or at least aren't, um, you know, aren't positioning themselves as much to take advantage of the things that they, they could. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's purposeful. Maybe that's just part of the, the direction they're going, but they have a strategic advantage in a lot of ways. There's in the U S there's, you know, iPhone is, has a large percentage of the market, whereas, you know, Google and Android operating system globally has a larger percentage of the market. So, um, and then obviously Amazon has a huge advantage as well for people shopping uh, patterns and, uh, in home digital assistance, uh, they actually have a larger um, footprint than a lot of companies do with Alexa in home. So, you know, each one has its advantages, um, you know, for someone like Google, who basically is just part of their strategic strategic advantages, you know, they're the most used search engine and pretty much soon the digital assistant will just be baked into uh, everything there. And so they'll have the largest um I guess, user base uh, of people using digital assistance. So, mm-hmm. oh, very, very interesting. So basically at this point, it doesn't really matter which one you choose. You just uh, pick one <laughs> and go with it. Yeah. I mean, everyone has their own preferences there. I mean, if you want to like, if you want to get like serious and be like, which one is the best? Um, I think people have their preferences from an accuracy and, and helpfulness standpoint. Google's digital assistant is beats all the others pretty hands down. Siri has normally been pretty bad. Uh, whereas Alexa is kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, Cortana is, is even kind of looking, it seems to me like they're maybe getting, they're trying to find their own niche outside of just being a general digital assistant. So we'll see kind of what path that they go in. But, um, when I talk to some of my friends, like, uh, you know, people at Google or people at, at uh, Microsoft that are kind of in the know in these areas, um, they're, it's really interesting because they are very much so looking at, um, you know, not only like digital assistants, but digital assistants that are, um, I guess, have emotional awareness based on the tone of your voice. And, and at some point based on biometric feedback by being able to see facial expressions and things like that. Um, Google actually has a patent on, uh, since 2012, actually a patent on biometric feedback for, uh, changing their, um, search results. Right. So if you do us, if they're not using it at this point, but if at some point they have a visual capability to see your face, uh, while you're doing a search and they see, uh, you know, your facial expression isn't satisfied with the result, they could use that as feedback to determine maybe no. these weren't the best results. Wow. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been thinking about this for a while. It's not something that's just came up. It's just a matter of, um, I think actually one of the things I fi- <clears throat> find really interesting is, um, Google hired, um, oh, what's his name? I'm going to, uh, Ray Kurzweil. Oh yeah. So are you familiar with Ray Kurzweil? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, yeah, of course, predictor yeah. <laughs> of the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got like an eighty six percent accuracy rate. Well, yeah. they hired him back in was it two thousand thirteen? I think it was mm-hmm. around that time. And um, and you know his the big thing that he was bringing to Google was one. It was obviously his. The, so a little backstory. Ray Kurzweil has never worked for another company. He's always had his own business, and obviously he doesn't need to work yeah, for anyone. Yeah, he, he created like the synthesizer back in the day, I think. 
he's 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 yeah he's actually created so many different things and been like part of it and he's a he's a genius i mean he's a futurist he's a genius and um so why would he go to work for google and honestly um it's because they have the i guess the most of the foundational elements in order for him to to create what's he what he wants to create in order to um create a digital assistant that really understands Uh, you know uh the information and the people so what i thought was really interesting was everybody was like why is ray kurzweil being assigned to you know the auto reply in gmail (laughs) yeah like he, he was in charge of he was in charge of that and and it's because of you know like data science like data scientists understand that they look at that and they go okay what is a what is the biggest um, data spot where people are having conversations where I could actually train a you know like a machine learning algorithm to understand these communications that are going on right mm-hmm. and then I can also start providing responses and based on uh, how people select those responses I can create reinforcement around what was accurate and what wasn't accurate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so that that's that's how they've been training the digital assistant um, throughout this time is looking at conversations in Gmail and teaching basically, you know, learning how to have a, have a conversation and how to provide responses. So those are some of the foundational elements as I look forward and I see how far we've come already. And then what the next, you know, five to 10 years holds. It's really, it's, to me, it's really exciting. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where we're going to go. Yeah. And those, um predictions are getting so good like for now now they're predicting the topic of the email and i was like writing up an email earlier today and uh click the subject line and the topic just appeared and that was exactly what i wanted to put in there and then i actually deleted it tried to come up with something better just (laughs) you know for the sake of my ego i couldn't and i just left whatever the assistant suggested it's crazy um So you mentioned uh, data science, and I think this is a good good uh, segue to that. What's the whole role of data science, artificial intelligence, analytics in in this new future of digital assistance that's coming? Oh man, it's um, so that's that's a it's a that's a really interesting question. I think there's actually a lot of different aspects. Um, I mean, that's a big question because one. Um, AI machine learning is driving uh, is going to be driving this. It's going to be one of the key drivers for uh, these macro trends, pushing them forward. And as far as the future, uh, our ability to process massive amounts of data uh, and be able to um, intelligently at scale uh, provide you know solutions and good answers and good assistance throughout this process. And that's all going to be done by, you know, obviously data scientists, machine learning, um, uh, people who are professionals in, in AI and machine learning on that side of things, that's all going to be driven by them. And there's obviously a shortage, um, in that area. Uh, there definitely needs to, like, I, I keep telling people, like, if you, you want to get in a, uh, like a growing field, like a really in demand field, you know, where people will basically pay you to go to school to some extent, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like, you know, get into kind of data science, get into uh, just AI, machine learning, kind of programming area things. So, so to me, that's kind of the backbone that's going to drive things. But I also think it's important to understand analytics is going to 
have to change um, to some extent as we grow. And and we're a very our organization is very analytic driven company. We um, we want to make sure we have a saying. It's actually uh, what gets measured gets managed. Mm-hmm. It's something you hear throughout our organization all the time. And so whatever we're doing from um, our marketing campaigns, we want to have measurement in place to be able to track um, what's what's effective and what actions are the users taking and, and understanding what we want them to do and what they want to do and finding that kind of sweet spot in the, in the middle. But as we move towards um, much more uh, audio, as we move towards different m- modes of interaction, um, we're going to be have to have to capture different uh, things to some extent. Um, some people like we're already to the point where like if you're looking for a restaurant, someone may never visit your website uh, yeah. because they might be searching on on Google or Yelp or you know Foursquare, like you mentioned. They might be looking at these different sources and they may never end up visiting the website. So it's important to understand and and get and have the right analytics data and be able to pull all that information in so that you understand what's actually effective for our marketing, what's getting us attention, what's getting, uh, where are people taking the actions we want them to take, whether it's, you know, directions to our office, whether it's uh, phone calls, you know, calling into our office, whether it's someone filling out a form or making a purchase online, you know, all those things to some extent are trackable now. Uh, one of the areas that, um, is really interesting to me in the future and we're seeing it right now with some of our clients is retail locations where we can actually get data around how many people are actually driving into the office based on anonymized data. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things we'll see um, I think going forward um, that analytics is going to need to change to some extent to keep up uh, with the changes in both consumer behavior and how they act and where they go and all that kind of stuff. So, um, in 10 years, you know, uh, I, I definitely think, uh, the website is a critical component of, and it's, it's one that businesses own. So they need to be very, um, they definitely need to be very focused on that, but there are some businesses and some of these are probably smaller businesses that may not need a website as much, uh, in the next 10 years, they'll have these other platforms, they'll have ways of doing it. So it, it's kind of interesting and it's becoming fragmented and that's part of the challenge. But, uh, I don't know, to me, that's exciting. Obviously there's a lot of opportunity for us to, to help businesses because it is getting so fragmented, but that fragmentation offers opportunity because it allows us to target more effectively in some of those areas too. Gotcha. And uh, you mentioned in your company what gets measured gets managed. Uh, can you give us a couple of examples? What, what do you measure in your company about your clients and how does that help you manage that, um, those relationships? Definitely. So, um, well, I'll, I'll think one of the clients we just brought on um, recently, they, uh, uh, big in the education space, they have uh, 148 locations around uh, in the United States. Uh, and when we first started working with them, uh, we had seen that uh, there had been a a downward trend in their traffic, a downward trend in their uh, the number of conversions, people taking actions. In this case, filling out a form on the website. Um, they weren't tracking phone calls. Um, really by channel, so they didn't know which channels were driving phone calls. Um, the they had all of their local listings, so like their business name, address, phone number for all those different locations. Um, their 
the they did have what are called UTM tracking parameters mm-hmm. on those sites, but the way they were set up was was wrong. So it was actually putting everything in the wrong bucket. <laughs> so mm. it, it's it's um, so what, I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea of what we did was was we actually went in there and we. Um, switched over how their call tracking set up so that we can see when someone comes to their website, we use dynamic number insertion. So it changes the phone number based on the channel that they're coming from, whether it's social or search, which search engine. So we can track and actually get data around um, where that information is coming from. And then we also know from those calls, it's integrated with their CRM data. Uh, We know ultimately, like we can track to some extent uh, what uh, did those calls turn into a, a good lead? And then ultimately, did they end up becoming a client? So we can close that attribution gap between um, kind of leads and conversions and actual revenue uh, with a good amount of accuracy. So that was one portion. The other portion was um, they're uh, setting up their uh, on-site analytics correctly, moving them over to Google Tag Manager, getting just kind of better data, and then fixing all of their uh, local listings because the UTM tags, um, there's little things and people don't realize it sometimes. Like in a UTM tracking parameter, if for source, if they put in uh, for a search, I mean, this is should the traffic in this case should be coming from a search engine because it was all Google My Business listings, but they had something like GMB listing in there, like or Google My Business or something like that. And so what that does is it just throws it in an other category when you actually look in analytics. So th- this becomes a problem when you're trying to understand and go out, like say 90% of your uh, conversions are coming from other. <laughs> mm. We don't really know what that is, right? Well, we as we looked into it more, we discovered what it was. And as we started to correct that UTM tracking parameters uh, on their actual Google My Business listings, now they're able to actually get real data. So they see how many conversions are coming from it. And we set it up so that they know that it was coming from each individual location. And then that individual location pulls into their CRM data as well. So then it's it's about closing that attribution gap so they understand what, you know, where are we getting our inquiries from? And then are those inquiries turning into customers? And are those, how much revenue is counted, you know, do those customers equate to? So that they can look at what's their actual return on investment, right? Because most people, most businesses, unfortunately, don't, no, they just, they know half my marketing is working. They just don't know which half, right? <laughs> yeah. And I guess what you said about uh, driving those numbers all the way to the revenue and understanding where that revenue is coming from and how um, it's distributed across possibly different challenge, channels, different types of customers and so on. That's a very important thing for data scientists to consider. It's uh, in the best interest and should be a part of a role of a data center. And I think it is, whether it's explicitly stated or implicitly, um, if a data scientist is in the marketing space, what the business cares about is the revenue, is the final yes. bottom line. It's nothing else. No like good intentions or you know, just um, uh, good work and things like that. That's not good enough. Like results and specifically revenue, that's what really matters. Well, ultimately, that supports their clients and that supports their team because if they're, you know, putting, well, we'll say for a company, they're putting $100,000 behind a marketing tactic that isn't working, that's that's not effective. It's actually creating more cost for their customers. It's created this bloated. They can't pay their employees as much, you know, so mm-hmm. if they can be more effective in their actual marketing tactics, they can better serve their customers, both the external ones and the internal ones. Yeah, and 
what does segmentation what role does segmentation play in all of this like uh, that's that's a big part or one of the core value adds that data science can offer in the space through machine learning or through other techniques on segmentation of, of customers what kind of role does segmentation play in modern marketing yeah and well the role it plays right now is is already really cool uh, the role it's going to play in the future is um, is going to be even cooler mm -hmm. <laughs> so segmentation um, right now like you can you can segment by different customer types there's different ways to set that up whether you have customers that are uh, actually coming in and logging in based off their previous um, I guess experience with you and your website you can start segmenting and changing the messaging for different audiences based on their previous experience with with you in different ways right so maybe they visited your website and now they come back, you could say welcome back. And if they put in, uh, signed up for an email form in the past and put in their name, you could say, you know, welcome back, Kevin. Or you could start personalizing it a little bit more to them because you've gathered this data on them and you now know that, hey, this person's coming back and it's Kevin. And so when you start to personalize those things, it's kind of like if you send out an email to someone and just say, hey, you, or don't even address them by mm -hmm. name, you know, the the effectiveness rate of that drops significantly, but if you actually address it to them, uh, personalize it to them, so it's being sent to them, the effectiveness is much higher. So we're already starting to see that with uh, our current audiences, and I, I still look at it as being a little uh, in its infancy because, um, like, you might have customers who are logged in or have uh, accounts with you. Maybe it's e-commerce site or maybe it's a educational-based site, whatever it may be. And you can personalize based off that information and, you know, knowing they have certain experience level with you. Maybe they've reached a certain point with you. They've been a customer for so long. You can you can change your messaging. You can change your offers to this. So I find this to be um, awesome. But... <laughs> Part of me is also torn because I know what's going to happen in the future and I already want it to be there. And what I'd love to be able to do is where segmentation is going to go is is by utilizing machine learning, right, is the only way I see this possibly happening, is at scale being able to um, communicate with a large number of customers uh, in a personalized fashion that is going to be more effective for every single individual as opposed to like audience segments. So mm -hmm. right now, um, for instance, Google um, will use this audience segments, but they also personalize down to the individual level to some extent based off of maybe location or based off of search history and things like that. Um, and for us, you know, we're for business owners with like a website we can start to personalize more effectively based off location and based off previous history with the website uh, experience with you and the business and the website and things like that. So that's great. But I think as Google's algorithm or search engines algorithm become more down to the individual level where they get to know you, we also as businesses need to think about the, those three P's and how can we be more personalized? How can we predict the customer's needs and how can we be proactive? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so segmentation is going to become even more critical in the future because it's ha it's going to have to be done at a at a algorithmic level and be able to communicate effectively. So like right now, uh, one way we do that is with chatbots. You can create chatbots. But to me, at least the experiences I've seen are 
not as personalized as, as I would like them. They're not very, um, sometimes they're very ineffective, honestly, and then sometimes they're effective um, because it's kind of, like, it's more of an if this, then that kind of communication as opposed to um, uh, a learning communication where it's like had, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of conversations and it's learned different patterns around people and how to communicate effectively with those people based on the words they use. Like we'll be able to look and, and understand based on words people use and maybe when they start communicating with us, understanding, you know, what their disc profile is, right? Mm. Like we might know what their personality profile is like to some extent. And we know that they prefer short, concise communications and they like these words, or we have someone else who might be, you know, on the far end of the spectrum where they're very detail oriented and they want a lot of detail. So like there's going to be different ways that we can communicate with them, um, in the future. And so that kind of segmentation is, um, only going to be done, uh, at least at scale, it's only going to be done by uh, machine learning, which is going to require data scientists to, to help with that segmentation. Very interesting. So basically, uh, you're saying that uh, segmentation, as we see it today, where you have these cohorts of customers, uh, is going to be replaced with personalization, rather, where you don't try to fit somebody into like, oh, approximately they fit into this group of people, or approximately they fit into this category of customers that we have you find out more and more information about them and personalize your approach, your marketing, everything you can towards that person. Uh, that's exactly it. The only thing I'd say is you basically would be drilling down farther. So you'd still have kind of the categorization of like, you know, this person is, you know, uh, male and maybe in this age range or female and they tend to be, uh, and they're shopping for these general categories. So you're still going to have the, kind of affinity category that they're in and you're still going to have kind of what they're in market for and, and some of that, those kind of larger buckets. But then with machine learning, um, with that capability, you'll be able to drill down at the individual level, much like you and I would be able to and actually talking to an individual and really find out their specific needs. What's so powerful about that is when you find out that individual specific needs what's actually important to them and then you deliver that then you're creating this amazing customer experience mm -hmm. so uh, you know rather than trying to just categorize them in this general category which is what we have to do now and is more effective than not personalizing it obviously so that's mm -hmm. the right way to do it but uh, again we could fall into um you know assumptions and not every male who's you know 32 years old is going to, you know, have these preferences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally get it. That's, that's a very, very cool person. You, you said that already now you're able to, by the words people use, create their disk profile, understand, you know, whether like more detail or less detail, short phrases and so on. Um, are you able to disclose like what kind of technology or kind of machine learning you use in order to accomplish that? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's a tool called Crystal Nose. Um, hmm. It's C R C R Y. It's Crystal C R Y S T A L K N O W S. Mm -hmm. uh, CrystalNose.com. And actually, so I utilize this in. Um, it's actually integrated with my calendar, and then I also have it set up through. There's a extension in Chrome. Uh, and if I'm on someone's LinkedIn profile, I can click the button, and it will. Um, it will estimate their disk profile based off of the information that's in their social, their, their LinkedIn profile. 
Um, and so, yeah. And, and actually what's funny is I've, uh, I've done a lot, use it for interviews. I use it when we meet with clients. Are you um, using and it I, now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually haven't used it with you, but I should have. You know. <laughs> so, but it, it's it. What's really cool about it is, it's actually really helped me in communication because I am uh, in the disc profile. I'm a very high D, very high I. Mm-hmm. If I if I meet down, uh, sit down with someone, and they're a very high C um, or high S, my communication style may totally con- conflict with their communication style. Mm-hmm. But if I go in and I know this person is say a high C, I know they're going to be a little more cautious. They're going to want a lot of details to make a decision. Whereas I'm just like, Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's move here. You know, and I'm, I'm more, that's just my communication style. That's how I am. Right. And that's fine. But if I want to help them, I'm going to need to communicate in the style that is effective for them. And so I've actually asked a lot of the people, both that I've interviewed as well as clients I've sat down with and I've showed them like, Hey, this is what it came up with. Is this correct? Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you think? And they're kind of like, Oh wow. And they're like, they're reading it and they're like, you know, it's pretty like they're like, it's pretty accurate actually. And so I'd say about, uh, I'd give it maybe like an 80% accuracy rating. So that, which is pretty good for just going off of LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, basically to this is an interesting podcast because like you're obviously an expert in the space of marketing and i'm in my head trying to convert all these things that you're saying about the future which is very insightful about where we're going i'm trying to convert this into all right what does that mean for data scientists who are listening to this what kind of technology should they be looking in for their future careers, for their, you know, if they want to get into the space of marketing or if they want to, they're already there and they want to be successful. And it sounds like to me that a, a massive role is going to be played by um, natural language processing and not only just a massive role, but in, yeah. in order to accomplish this segmentation to personalization transition, we're going to have to move away from um, Algorithms like such as you know k-means clustering, k-nearest near, uh, k neighbors, and other ways of creating these segmentations to something that in, creates personalization, and that is predominantly natural natural language processing. Ah, I mean, I do. So, computer vision, natural language, um, I think are probably two areas that are um, going to grow a lot. Obviously, natural language processing is kind of more of the the, the foundation because everything kind of starts from uh, that language. And I actually, part of Ray Kurzweil coming to Google was um, uh, understanding the kind of coming up with semantic search. He was a big with semantic search and understanding um, word vectors and understanding, creating an actual um, framework for um, kind of understanding the semantics, understanding the intent behind a user's query, right? So there's there is a lot... Um, that he came up with. So that's the foundation. Well, what I think is interesting is I think we'll see a lot more in computer vision as well, because part, part of the problem there is um, just processing power. It's grown a lot. So we've seen a lot. So you, again, you take something like Google photos, right? Gives you unlimited ability to upload your photos. Um, this is one of the things I really like about what Google does is they're like, Hey, let me give you this free uh, tool. That's like just massive value. Cause now my phone's not clogged up with all these videos and all these photos. And and then they're like, you know, do you want the ability to be able to kind of tag and sort and view and search all your images? And so I'm like, yeah, I want that ability. And and I'm sitting here 
looking to sell this elliptical machine. And I'm like, it's in the garage behind a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I think I might have a picture of it somewhere. So I just go on Google Photos and I search for elliptical and a photo pops up <laughs> with the elliptical machine that's in the garage only in half the picture. But mm. it, it still found it. And that's that's the power of computer vision, and that's the, why they have such this. They're getting this large data set of everyone's photos, and then they're using that to train it based, and then based off your interactions with it, if it's actually working, all that kind of stuff. And so, but as we our processing power improves, computer vision is going to come in a lot more. I think uh, always on video will be something that we'll see in the future, maybe farther down the road. But uh, and the ability to process all that information and see everything as we go tie that in with augmented reality and some of the other things and the ability to process and record that there, there's definitely going to be a lot in both those, those fields. So, um, I, I agree hundred percent that natural language processing is foundational for all of this. Fantastic. So natural language processing and computer vision top two technologies. If you want to get into the space of marketing in the way that is going to be in the future. Okay. Um, any other trends in marketing that involve technology or data, data science that you're witnessing currently that you're anticipating? Yeah, I mean, I think um, so. I, and, and this is it, it coincides, but I think um, there, there's still some delineation between chatbots and digital assistants. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think um, chatbots are definitely something that is uh, going to continue growing significantly. Um, and again, it's one of those things where it, it there's, there's definitely a, a close relation between chatbots and like assistance to some extent, but they're still, um, very clearly delineated in a lot of ways as well. And I think right now, as I, I've been utilizing chatbots a little bit more and kind of working with them and seeing, testing them out for clients and things like that, I think there's a lot of different methods. Um, one of my, uh, friends and colleagues, Larry Kim, uh, created a company called Mobile Monkey, mm -hmm. um, and that uh, one of the things that they've done is basically created a chatbot that is integrated with Facebook Messenger. And while that doesn't seem uh, okay, it's, there's a lot of chatbots with Facebook Messenger and all that. What I found really interesting is the ability to then tie it in with Facebook itself. And when you have uh, a post, so like you might post on Facebook. And uh, you put in something called a comment guard. And when someone goes in and comments on that post, whether it's being pushed out, boosted, or by an ad, or whether it's just an organic post, they comment, you can automatically have your chatbot send them a quick message saying, hey, thanks for commenting, and start integrating. You can actually start developing that conversation automated, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then it has a whole kind of funnel that you can bring them down and say, hey, and and start gathering more information. So are you a CEO are you, or are you an executive, a marketing manager or a business owner? Mm -hmm. Maybe you might, you might ask that and they say that, then you can take them down this path. So to me, I think I, I honestly think that there's so much value in that right now. My, my concern is, um, it can come across intrusive in some, um, mm -hmm. areas. So you have to be really careful as a business to not just go out there and be like, Oh, let me do this. Let, let me actually kind of test this, right? Because if you go out to all your customers all of a sudden and you have a chat bot that's messaging them all these different things, you know, and it's going through Facebook Messenger, some people may feel like Facebook Messenger is not the place to do that. So that's the problem when you have segmentation, right? All this fragmentation, I mean, fragmentation, you have all these different marketing channels and all these different tactics. Um, 
you have to not only understand what's uh, appropriate there and what's going to be effective, but you know how is my customer going to respond to this? So uh, possibly starting out with a smaller um, test and starting to see how that works. Because I've had people message me through Facebook Messenger and I'm kind of like, uh, why are they like, I, I felt a little violated. I'm like, mm-hmm. why are you, you know, calling me through Facebook Messenger on the weekend? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't get like, I, I barely know you. Why are you calling me on Facebook Messenger? So I think that's um, big. There's a lot of things that I'm really excited about in the area of, I guess, just overall. I it, So my one of my main areas is just search, like uh, organic uh, search, so search engine optimization, uh, as well as paid search. And we have a team of specialists that, uh, that do all this, but... For for me, I, I think it's really exciting to see where where that is going. Um, machine learning has been being used in in search algorithms for quite a while, uh, and so the technology, the ability to have better answers and questions, um, you know, and uh, like some of the stuff is fundamental. Like when I say fundamental, it's more uh, I think in its in, in its infancy. So like in the past, if you would ask. Um, you would go online and you would search for like the Statue of Liberty You'd say, where is the Statue of Liberty? Uh, and then you would do another search afterwards and you would say, how tall is it? It, it wouldn't know what you were talking about. It would mm. just, it would just look for the words, how tall is it in a bunch of documents? But this is where semantics changes it because you have this, you have this history, right? So you have their search history, you know, they just searched for um, the Statue of Liberty. So when you say how tall is it, it knows that you're referencing the Statue of Liberty and it will actually tell you how tall the Statue of Liberty is, right? And that's that's like just a small example of uh, of some of the changes. In the U.S. at least, you can search for a hotel uh, and if you're using Google Assistant, search for a hotel and it will ask you, do you know what dates you're going? Mm. And you can say, I'm going these dates. And then it will say, would you like to narrow the... Um, you know, the uh, things by like amenities or pricing or ratings, things like that, right? So you can start to narrow it. And it's all voice. This is all done by voice or mm. prompts on your screen, like a text message almost. And then it will provide you personalized results. So that that's already happening. So, I mean, to me, um, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is is already here. It's just to the level, right? It's growing at a different extent. So to me, I think some of the areas in search that I think uh, – businesses can take advantage of is a lot of the searches, what Google's trying to do is they move to at one point becoming more of like what they call an answer engine where they come up with answers. But I think they're moving away from answer engine and becoming more of a, they're going to, they're moving towards becoming an assistant, right? Mm. So that's kind of the direction that they're, they're going, but you can still take advantage of that by making sure that you're creating the right kind of content. If you know what questions your customers are asking, you know what they're interested in, if you really understand your customer really deeply, then you can provide better uh, content and better solutions for those customers. Uh, One of the, um, I guess, assertions that I make in my book is that uh, customer experience will become one of the largest ranking factors in the next 10 years. Mm. Um, What And the simple analogy I, I use is if you were referring your friends to, you know, a business and they weren't having a good experience, how long would you do that for? Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, not very long, right? Yeah, so that's the same with a search engine. Their business is dependent on how well they do at referring people to your business. So they're looking, understanding the customer, understanding who they're referring to, and does, is this going to provide value for them? 
right? Is this going to meet their needs, the intent of what they're searching for? Um, so the better you can do it providing that, uh, the better. So customer experience, whether it be uh, when someone comes to your website, does it load quickly? Do they find what they're looking for? Um, is, uh, you know, the website laid out in a, a mobile-friendly fashion? Uh, you know, all those different factors come into play as well as what, how's the content laid out and does it answer the question specifically uh, or is it buried in a bunch of other information on the site? There's so much that comes into play there. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting that you mentioned where Google is going because... This actually echoes something that uh, one of my previous guests, Kai Pham, on two podcasts before this one mentioned. And he was talking about in the 20th century, we lived in a world of information. And hence, we that's where the search engines came from. In the 21st century, we live in an age of knowledge. And therefore, the next step from search engine is a reasoning engine, something that you ask a question. Um, you can ask a question and not just get like, like you said, like a one short answer, but something that will do the reasoning for you and do the research and give you the, the appropriate descriptions, experiences, and whatever it is that you're after will understand you much better. And it sounds like uh, the Google Assistant that it's moving towards might be exactly that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. The, the Assistant is basically an advanced version that... Uh, is again not not even just reasoning but personalized right so they they're going to know if my uh you know when we look for a restaurant my wife likes to go to gluten-free places they know food preferences uh you know and if you've seen anything about google duplex uh you know it can call up and make reservations so i could say hey you know find me some good restaurants someplace i haven't been to uh that you know you think we're going to like and it could go out there and search and say based on People who have reviewed web, uh, reviewed restaurants like you have in the past that like those have also reviewed this highly, so they could use that information. They could say they have gluten-free information um, and and items on their menu. So for your wife, and you know, would you like me to call and make reservations? And then you know, the assistant mm-hmm. calls up and actually makes the reservation for you as well. So it's it's a little beyond reasoning, and it's like that's why I like to call it assistant assistance. Mm-hmm. Because like it's like it's gonna actually do actions on your behalf as well. Mm-hmm. Like you can ask it to go purchase something. You can tell it to call and make you a reservation. There's there's a lot of things that it's actually going to do, much like an assistant would. Question. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. This actually brings us to the close of this podcast. Um, and just to recap, so you shared the three main P's of uh, marketing where it's going. Uh, personalized, predictive, proactive, and that's all going to be enabled by technology. That's where data scientists come in and they need to look out for trends that uh, will facilitate this transition and will facilitate the future marketing. That's kind of the best bet to be successful in the world of marketing that's coming is to work on these skills, work on these technologies such as we identified computer vision and natural language processing as as a couple in order to be the be most prepared for the future that's coming. Is that about right? That sounds great. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much, Ken, for coming. If anybody wants to uh, grab your book, it's called Future Proof uh, Your Marketing, just came out. And apart from that, where else can uh, people find you, connect with you? 
Uh, you know, I love to connect with people on LinkedIn, um, uh, at our company website, webford.com. We have, I blog on there consistently and put up, um, new information and resources and stories, um, as well as my own website, kevingetch.com. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. Appreciate you coming on the show today and uh, chat to you later. Thank you, Kirill. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to the podcast today and spending this hour with us. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kevin and got some valuable insights from what we discussed. Uh, my favorite takeaway was the whole idea behind digital assistance. It's very interesting where the world is going and how possibly very soon our search will actually be not just search, but a conversation with a digital assistant. And I think Kevin did a great job portraying what that will look like in terms of how we're going to want our personal assistants or digital assistants to be personalized and therefore like understand us better. And um, even though there, we all have these privacy considerations and we don't want our data to uh, be leaked or anything like that, at the same time, we will want our digital assistants to know us better so they can help serve our needs better. So that'll be a very interesting future we're heading into. As you can imagine, data scientists and artificial intelligence experts, machine learning engineers are all going to have a massive role in that. So hopefully this podcast outlined what to look out for. And Kevin's book is called Future Proof Your Marketing and just came out recently two days ago, prior uh, as of when this podcast is launched, it's two days before that. You can go and pick it up and learn more about Kevin's perspective on marketing and where this whole field is going. And of course, as always, you can get the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 281, where you will also get any of the materials mentioned on this episode plus the transcript. And on that note, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, happy analyzing. Happy analyzing.